1: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One.
2: If you're excited for Halloween, you're going to love all the thrilling shows Podcast One has to offer. Get ready for chills with some of the best crime and mystery shows around, like Beyond the Darkness, Serial Killer Podcast, Cold Case Files, Murder Made Me Famous, The First Degree, and so much more. Check out all these thrilling shows today on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Danny Roo, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Sirit Sohi, the staff writer for SB Nation. I've been a fan of her work when she's been at many other places as well, of course. And our conversation focuses on the Toronto Raptors, that is the team that she is watching most closely and also one of my most compelling teams and stories for the season so far. So that's where we focus, but we also do have an extended conversation about the Lakers and what the team is looking like, especially in light of their game on Thursday on national TV against the Denver Nuggets. This episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. If you use the podcast one promo code, you get a 50% signup bonus. You can also listen to a segment I did after Sear It is with Dave Mason of betonline.ag talking about suspensions and injuries and how they affect making lines and all that. I thought it was a really interesting short conversation. Robinhood. If you go to realgm.robinhood.com, you get a free stock, which is awesome. In addition to checking out their site, Pluto TV, leading source of free TV streaming, and TrueCar, great place to buy new and used cars. This episode, the part with Siri runs just about an hour. I think you'll really enjoy it, get into some big topics, get into some small topics, but a lot of good conversation along the way. Hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'll start this with an easy question, then we'll get into it a little bit more, which is, do you think the Raptors... So far, are significantly different this year than last year. Just as you've been watching them on and off the court.
0: Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. They look like a completely different team, and especially deep defensively. And they are using a different starting lineup. Obviously, they don't have Demar, and they replaced Demar with Kawhi Leonard, who is a genuine superstar. And you can tell because you know you, you, when you watch when you watch an approximation of of that for so long. I think you can kind of trick yourself into it. Like, oh, DeMar's such a good scorer. And, like, of course he is. He's one of the best one-on-one scorers. He has an area of post moves. He can pretty much get a shot from anywhere on the floor. But he was also a guy that struggled against the more elite defenders in the league. We always saw that in the playoffs. I think everybody kind of knows that that's the story with the Raptors for the most part. But... Like a guy like Kawhi, even when he was rustier, he's you know, he's kinda of getting back into his full form. Everybody's making jokes like, Oh, he's always been one hundred percent, nobody really knows what the injury situation was like with the Spurs. But he's still regardless of whatever was going on, he didn't play basketball for a really, really long time. And even in that form, you know, you got Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum trying to rough him up and he's like, I don't care. <laughs> like, you're you're a speck of dust to me. And that's what You know, that's what the real superstars in the league are able to do. Where Like, yeah, you you can you maybe slow them down a little bit, make it a little bit tough for them, but they're going to get to their spots and they're going to get the best of pretty much anybody else in the league. And that's what Kawhi is already doing. And that's something that the Raptors never really had before. And when you watch it, it's just, it's completely evident. That's probably the biggest change. There have been obviously some tactical things that have changed and they're trying a couple different things defensively in different lineups. But yeah, the most glaring thing is just that Kawhi is the best player that, has ever worn a Raptors uniform, with all due respect to Vince Carter. But, you know, it's just like a two-way player who just does incredible things on the floor.
2: Something that struck me about their game against Boston, which was my favorite game of the year so far as we're recording this on Friday, because both teams played really well. You know, it it was one of those circumstances where you really did get a benefit to me of of teams, not necessarily that have a lot of continuity, but have a lot of depth and have good players. And Kawhi had a, a very strong defensive game as well. But one of the definitive stretches in that game was Kawhi's offense because yeah. He is not, you know, the best isolation scorer in the league or anything like that, but he's on the he's on the high end. I think people who of that sometimes. But what Kawhi does is that he he's very patient and he's very methodical when he has the ball in his hands. And so he was working Jason Tatum a few times and just he he figures out a point of failure and just kind of works it until it until it breaks. And so that opened up shots when In prior years, Toronto, you know, wonderful, that's the difference between being a regular season and a postseason team, is whether you can get buckets when you're facing a capable team that defends well, that knows what they're doing, and you can still beat a good defense anyway. And Kawhi Leonard does that more often than the guys they had last year.
0: Yeah, no question. Like I think you were talking about that third quarter stretch, and I think like uh, it went into the fourth quarter, too, where anything they tried, it didn't really matter. And they started having to send doubles into the post, and... The Raptors, like, credit to to doing Casey last year because I don't think they would have been able to have this synergy between Kawhi's one-on-one ability and their ability to then find the right shot after he gets doubled if they didn't go through all the changes they went through last year. But right now, they're in this spot where, you know, Kawhi demands all this attention. Really, they're shooters, which, by the way, like, that's something that didn't exist last year. When you have Danny and him and Kyle on, on the floor, they have so much gravity and they whip the ball back and forth just between each other in ways that are just completely discombobulating to defenses so you have this mix of one-on-one ability with shooting and a team that has really learned to whip the ball around the floor and it's just it's really hard for even a defense like the Celtics to beat where they bring doubles from really smart places and they're actually there are actually a couple times where they kind of should have if they if Kawhi had slightly Slightly smaller hands. The Celtics would have gotten a couple of steals. I mean, Tatum came from behind a couple of times, and I think one time he actually knocked the ball out of his hands, but like, Kawhi just has this magnetic grip where, yeah, like, if you knock the ball out of his hands, but you don't immediately grab it, he'll probably just get it back. And that happened a couple of times, so he just, he just has a command in that sense. Like, you really have to bring a strong, strong double for it to really matter when he's got it going. And he's pretty much, you know, he has it going in the post against pretty much anybody else in the league. So, you know, they they kind of run him out on the on that low block, and he's a willing passer. He's a good passer. I think that's something also that people didn't really, really know about him is that because he's not like a big assist getter, which I don't think he'll be in the Raptors offense because of what we talked about. It's like he passes it out, and then it makes, you know, two more rounds before it gets to somebody else in the corner or wherever, uh, wherever the pass is unless he hits a cutter or something like that. You know, he is able to just control the offense that way, and the Raptors are able to kind of facilitate the ball into the most efficient spot, and it just, it's a really interesting synergy between the last last year's Raptors and really the Raptors of years before where it was a lot of one-on-one but it was with weaker isolation players and a team that didn't really know how to capitalize on the doubles.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point. And so there is this synergy of kind of building the skill set. And one of the elements that I really like about this Raptors team early, and there is still time to change it if I end up being wrong, is that the personnel they have at the start of the season makes a lot of sense with LeBron, with with Ka- Kawhi. Sorry, I was thinking about that for a, a different topic that we might talk about later. And so shooting is a big part of that. Help defenders, guys that are capable capable ball handlers, you know, having somebody like Kyle Lowry that, of course, if Kawhi's getting extra attention, can make a lot of things happen offensively. And one of the other striking elements to me so far, and I wondered exactly what this would look like, I mean, it was one of my big questions for the Raptors this year, is what is a Nick Nurse team like? And one of the elements that I've seen, and you've had a lot more experience and have probably seen plenty more than this, is just his encouragement for players like Kyle Lowry, if they have a clean look at a three, to just take it. And Analytically, that's the proper approach if the guy can actually make the shot, which Kyle Lowry can.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Nick has been really big on empowering all of the guys to kind of take their shots. I think something Danny Green said in training camp was that he feels like he has a lot more freedom to be able to shoot the ball and to put it on the floor. I think we've seen that from CJ Miles a little bit more too, and he's struggling with his shot, but he's been a lot more aggressive this season defensively and just putting it on the floor, which is also not necessarily just a coaching staff change. He just, he had a tougher year last year. He came in much better shape this year, and he was really putting the onus on himself to. To uh, I guess be a better teammate and a better player, which is kind of kind of how he how he put it. And uh, there's a couple other guys like on the, it's kind of it's weird because these are changes that the Raptors started making last year, but there was almost a level of rigidity to the way that they wanted to play, which is like you know like for example, they wanted to be able to shoot thirty threes a game. They surpassed that mark, but it was something that that was like kind of like, this is what we're doing, and I think that that's obviously good, and it was obviously a very necessary step because those are things that really weren't in the team's nature, but now we're kind of seeing a more natural, free-flowing version of that where everybody's kind of driving and trying to do whatever they can, whereas before it was kind of like, if you have the three, shoot that, don't do something else, like don't... Take a long to. It's, I don't know, it's kind of hard to, it's really hard to draw the differences. But you can kind of see them in like um, in a rhythmic way. I don't know if that makes sense.
2: It, it does. And I, I was going to ask you, it seemed to me like some of the changes last year. And while Dwayne Casey deserves immense credit for for making them, it felt to me like it was kind of being imparted on him, whereas Nick Nurse, this is him doing what he wants. And th- that does that feel right to you as somebody who's around the team a whole heck of a lot more than I am?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was never. Like, what, what happened last year was never in Dwayne Casey's nature. Like, allowing guys to, to play through their mistakes, for example, was not something that he did a lot of. I mean, Pascal Siakam went to the G League, which, by the way, like, yeah, that was great for his growth, and he should have. But before last year, all he was was really a rim runner, and then he started handling the ball and you know, making these crazy passes and, like, really growing his game to the point where now he is probably the Raptors' more, most exciting prospect. And that those those types of things were, like, credit to Dwayne for being able to embrace a style that was never the way that he wanted to do things and he was willing to evolve alongside the league. But this is just that, where the team was last year is probably, like, Nick Nurse's starting point, really, for what he looks at from an NBA offense. I mean, this is a guy who cut his teeth, with the Rockets G League team, where they just tried any number of weird things just to see if they would work. Like, he just kind of thinks outside of the box in ways that... I think, honestly, a lot of people might even look at it in, like, a bad way. I mean, I, I don't think that there's... I think with the way the NBA is going, like, there's... It's hard to see looking outside of the box as a negative, but he's just, like... I don't. Know, they did things like uh they did a weird thing with free throws. I can't remember what it was. It was like seeing if every time you dribble something like every if every time you dribbled after a free throw, like if you'd make it more often than not. Like they tried things like if an uh, if an open three point shooter like got a shot like they wouldn't even try to contest it they would just run back because you know they just think that contesting it is kind of futile at that point if the guy's a good shooter so like they they would just have the guy run back and see if they could just take it out of the basket and like hit him for a quick transition bucket just little things like that that I think like in the in the eyes of a guy like Casey like what you're not going to contest a three-point shot which obviously you should contest a three-point shot but just trying it seeing what happens with it It it's like a lot of his philosophy I think it's just a lot of stuff that wasn't supposed to work ends up working so why not be the ones that try it and get an edge which is definitely unique for this team. I think that the
2: culture and kind of the mentality of experimentation is an important thing, not for every NBA team. I don't think everybody has to go through that, but especially for a collection of players that is figuring it out together and that also appeared to be hitting a wall seems a little bit too extreme considering it's LeBron James and everything like that. But
0: Well, they weren't going to beat the Celtics. Like It's it's such a... It's such a myth that you know they should have given it another chance because LeBron's out of the East. No, they weren't going to beat the Celtics. they were going to be end up being worse than the 76ers. Like this was the end of the line for the Raptors. We saw those teams in the playoffs. Like they they looked way better. They looked way more playoff ready. They you know even here here's the thing. Like even when the Raptors have won series, they've never done it decisively. They don't win series in a strong like oh this team looks great sort of way like they always 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 just have to screw it up a little bit and then and then have everybody thinking like oh is this the same old Raptors until they finally pull it out like this is the story of the Raptors they always underperform they never win a series decisively they never win a series in the amount of games that before the series you think that they should it's not just LeBron this was who the team was and it was The East is only getting better at the top, so they had to do something, even if LeBron was out of the East.
2: I agree with you wholeheartedly, and the point that you brought up about the series they won is exactly where I wanted to go with that, because to me, the reason why you fire Casey was not primarily the Cavs series, it was the Wizards series. I mean, that was a team... That really didn't have a place against Toronto. Toronto was a way better team, and yes, the regular season you know was maybe outperforming you know kind of the equivalent in basketball of kicking your coverage, but that Washington team shouldn't have given them as much trouble as they did. And that's where I started to be like, okay, this is this is where you run into an issue, and that's it. I didn't know. What a Nick Nurse team was going to be like, exactly where this is going to go. That's one of the benefits of being closer to a team is you get to kind of get more of a sense of the assistance because it's just, it's just hard to do anywhere else. And so there still is a lot of room for growth with Toronto. Like, but what I'm excited about as somebody who likes good basketball and who enjoys watching the league is that they're starting at a, at a strong point. And so if this is where they are now, they have five months or so to adjust and to try different things. Of course, health will be a factor in all of this, just like it always is. But that's a really important step. And while you you don't want to judge a team's conclusion point and estimate it now by their starting point, it does help you kind of get an understanding of where they're going to be.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, A, Kawhi is going to find a little bit more of his way in the offense. Kyle has just been – it's interesting that they're sort of – they've already sort of figured out a way to work together, but obviously, like, that level of chemistry that you develop – over a couple of months has not really been there yet but the fact that those two have already been playing really well together is really really encouraging and like you just know that that is only going to get better it's been really 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 plug and play i guess which is i guess you should kind of expect that just given the skill set of demar and the guy that you're bringing in kawaii like you're really just like you're hitting the upgrade button essentially but then you look at, and know health is obviously a concern, but you look at a team like, like the Celtics, for example, and they're still kind of figuring out those kinks when you would have kind of thought that they should be in a plug and play situation as well. So it is a really encouraging place to start from. I'm really excited to see what the starting lineup shakes out to be. And I don't know if it'll ever be a consistent starting lineup, but it looks like right now, like I think, I think Nurse really likes doing Kawhi, Danny, Kyle, Siakam and Surge, which is a lineup that has four shooters on it, is long, pretty switchable. I mean, I think the worst, the worst switching situation you can get into with that one is probably if you end up with, like putting Surge on a on a really speedy point guard. But they have, they just have guys that are long and can recover. So, like one of the things. The defense is going to take a little while to shake out, I think, but one of the things I've noticed is that a lot of the guys can really afford to cheat on defense and not worry too much about it because when Siakam and Kawhi share the floor together, you're just, you're not getting much, you know? It's just, uh, it's really hard to, to make any headway because those guys are just so long, so quick, so smart, and I think Siakam's basketball IQ is just going to keep improving. Like, he's just, he's already such a smart player. Like, if he if he can figure out, the shot, which is kind of, you know, that's kind of his Achilles heel. Is just like he has not really been able to to make too many improvements to his outside shot. But if he can, like, it's just, like, who knows what the future holds for that guy because he can put it on the floor, he can pass. He's getting better as a ball handler. I'm confident that that's something that he'll continue to improve. He has incredible basketball IQ already. Like, he is just, like, and he's so aggressive. Like, that's something that you just – you just can't teach things like that. He's just getting after it all the time. And uh, I'm really just so excited for, for what Siakam, Siakam's year is going to hold. And, you know, it just, it just gives everybody else so much room to be able to try other things. And then you have those moments when, you know, Serge is occasionally outmanned on defense. Like, he is, he's a lot slower than he used to be. If that's, but if that's your weak link and you have the type of guys that you have around him to recover, it's just, you know, like you, you're gonna be okay.
2: They also have a really good fallback option as a kind of a fifth starter in OG Ananobi. I think OG could end up being a part of that best five. It just depends on where this season shakes out. But going back to Siakam, I think that he's a, first of all, a wonderful story. I mean, a player that has improved so much in terms of his skill level over just a couple years, like not not really that long in the league. And so that's really encouraging. I'm, I'm super happy to see that from him. And then... The the worry that I have at this point, and I, I think that the Celtics game was a teachable moment, and in, in some ways it's actually better to have a teachable moment in a win than a loss, is that I think there were some times where his exuberance and enthusiasm with the ball in his hands got the better of him because Boston, mm-hmm. in in particular, like you talked about the plays that Kawhi's massive hands prevented from being turnovers, where there were a couple of those plays, similar kind of style things, where Boston was able to get turnovers on Tiakam. And, my instinct is that they'll just have to strike a better balance you know he will get enough better enough at in time to not make those kind of turnovers but th- some of it will be probably raining that in a little bit some of it will be using him right and that isn't really a regular season problem because mm-hmm. most teams aren't disciplined enough to really go after those those elements but you know when you're playing the Celtics when you're playing the Warriors And some of the other teams that have guys with good hands that are are comfortable attacking, there there will be times when Siakam is a point of frustration. But fortunately for the Raptors, A, there's a long time to figure it out between now and when that actually matters. And B, he can get better, and I expect him to.
0: Yeah, I mean it's good to get those reps against a really good defensive team to see what it what it actually feels like to it's like you know he can they can run all, they can run Charlotte all over the floor which they did and that's fun to watch but you know that's that's something that team did last year too but if you can you know if you can make these mistakes and find a way to thrive against a genuinely good defensive team like that's something that is really gonna be able to carry over and build progress towards. The, towards, towards the postseason, which is ultimately the only thing that matters with this team anymore. Like, it's, it's interesting because, you know, it is a new team, but you're bringing back a lot of those same elements. And I think it'll be kind of interesting to see if a lot of the playoff failures really, really did rest on, on Dwayne and DeMar. And I think there's plenty of empirical evidence to suggest that they did. I think one of the biggest, one of the biggest issues with Dwayne was you just, you can't take an entire game to make an adjustment. You just can't. Like, that was always – and credit to him, he would make it after after the game, but you have to be able to make those at half. You have to be able to recognize something the second quarter and have the confidence to say, okay, yeah, we're completely changing the way that that we're going to execute the rest of the game because the situation has changed, and that's just something that always, always took him – I don't know whether it was – he just wanted to stick to the game plan or if he just needed to see the tape and, like, really be able to think about it. But, it, like, you have to be able to make those those snap decisions. And I think DeMar, we've, like, we've kind of touched on, and I think everybody knows, like, what DeMar's playoff issues were. But, yeah, like, it'll be kind of interesting to see, like, is it because of that stuff or... And is bringing in two champions and Danny and Kawhi going to be enough to to offset that? Or is there something kind of deeper going on with this team? Because I do believe in that stuff. Like, I do believe that there are certain teams that, you know, they just can't get over a playoff hump for some reason. So, you know, it'll be be exciting. It'll be really interesting.
2: Plenty more with Sirit Sohi, but first a message from betonline.ag. I'm happy to announce that I again won the NFL prediction challenge for this past week, which means that betonline.ag is giving me credits. So five of you can win $100 in credit on the site. All you have to do is send me a tweet using hashtag sportsnetchallenge and your account name, and five lucky listeners will find $100 in free credit in their account. If you don't have an account yet, get one created, send in your tweets betonline.ag and do not forget to use the promo code podcast one p-o-d-c-a-s-t-o-n-e for your 50 percent sign up bonus so if you sign up you not only get that sign up bonus but if you send me a tweet and you get picked then you will have a hundred dollars in free credit sitting there for you so really happy that betonline.ag is doing the contest also great place to check out so much sports going on right now still the world series of course the nba is now in full regular season swing football going on college and pro whatever you for at, Check it out on betonline.ag. And also, listen for the end of this podcast. I have a conversation, a short conversation with Dave Mason, who works for them, about one of the challenges of, of setting lines and one that's particular in terms of suspensions that I think you'll find interesting. So you can check that out as well. betonline.ag. Our exclusive partner of the podcast, One Sportsnet. I also want to tell you about Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission free. They're trying to make financial services work for everyone. Not just the wealthy. And something that's very important for me is it's a non intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. And that last point is extremely important to me as somebody who maybe I should have invested years ago, but has not is that you can learn, not only learn by doing, by experimenting and investing as you build your profile portfolio, but also discovering new stocks, tracking favorite companies with a personalized newsfeed. So if you're getting into this for the first time, it's a great way to do it. And also, it's very easy to use. So charts and market data and their web platform is fantastic. You can view stock collections like the 100 most popular or entertainment social media. And so it has all of these positives in one place. So I'm sure for people who are more experienced, there is plenty to enjoy there. But for me, I can only speak from my own experience as a newcomer to this. It is a great, great introduction to it. And if you're looking for a similar introduction or you just want to try it out because it's a great service, it, this is a URL and you get a free stock like Apple Ford or Sprint to help you build your portfolio if you go to realgm.robinhood.com. It is a URL. So that is R-E-A-L-G-M dot robinhood r-o-b-i-n-h-o-o-d dot com you can get that free stock and check out robinhood for yourself i'm really impressed with it
1: it's not easy being the one everyone counts on to keep the facility running no matter the weather or supply chain hiccup but we get you raymond in buffalo and maria in miami Jules in minneapolis and stan in central indiana Taking control of everything that's under your control. At Granger, we're here for you with experienced branch staff at over 250 locations so you get the product you're looking for. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
2: There were some structural elements with the Raptors that are just better now. And one of the best surprises for me of the season so far is that Danny Green last year at moments looked washed up. You know, like he just, it just didn't look like he had it anymore. And we found out a little bit more after the regular season. I think even maybe after they lost to the Warriors that he was dealing with this groin issue. And basically what I mean, it's not nothing you don't want to be overly definitive about a week and a half or two weeks or anything like that. But he looks more like previous Danny Green Mm. than last year's Danny Green and the Raptors, really needed that guy who can lock in defensively, hit open shots, and not doesn't need to do a whole lot other than that. Like, they have a lot of other good complementary pieces, but they didn't have anybody quite like Danny Green.
0: No, they didn't. They didn't have, like, the solid 3 and D guy who actually genuinely had both elements of that. That's kind of what they were trying to turn OG on into last year. I think that's what they were hoping that Norm Powell would be. CJ Miles is is a sharpshooter who is a below-average defender. Like, this... That's kind of always been the Raptors' problems. Like, they they can always go offense-defense, but they couldn't do both at the same time. Or they would have to kind of put a jumble of guys together to kind of, like, have a balanced sort of set, which is kind of what the starting lineup looked like last year. But it didn't really have this strong identity of, this is who we are and what we're doing and I think when you have guys like Danny and obviously when you have guys like Kawhi, Kyle has always been one of those guys. Serge is one of those guys, and he's been he's been looking a lot better on offense this, this year. It just simplifies everything so much more, and it just makes you so much more playoff ready because the playoffs are really when you boil it down to to the core, they're really just about having obviously having skill and talent, but it's about not having weaknesses. So the more weakness proof you can make yourself, the better. And Danny is just one of those guys that just doesn't have a lot of weaknesses. I mean, and it's just funny, like yeah, he had his he had his issues last year, but like the Raptors traded Demar Yakaperto, who yeah, I was thinking I was watching it, I think they would miss his rim protection. They they probably will at some point. But Yak doesn't seem like a Nick Nurse guy. He doesn't seem like a guy that would fit onto this roster where. You know, everybody's pretty versatile and can do a bunch of different things and wants to run the floor all the time. And, you know, it was really just like there's a lot of creativity with uh, with the guys the Raptors run out on the floor right now. And I don't know how Yak would have figured into that. So, yeah, I get it. I get that. Obviously, Kawhi's a rental. We don't know what's going to happen after this year. But when you figure in the fact that Danny Green was just a throw-in, Like, it's just such a big win for the Raptors. Your point about
2: two-way guys is is very well taken when you think about the playoffs. And an example of this, while they had plenty of playoff success, partially because when you have Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook together, is there. But those Thunder teams, and even to a point the current Thunder teams, I mean, last year with Melo is a good example of this, they didn't have a ton of two-way players. They have, you know, those guys that can do a lot of positive, but then take something away on the other end. Robertson's a good example of this. And in the playoffs, Nate brings this point up a lot, but it's a very good one. It many times boils down to the severity of a player's weaknesses as much as the severities of the strengths. So those people who can do enough of everything to keep opponents honest and to keep them on their toes are even more valuable. And last year's Danny Green was not that guy, but two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, Danny Green was. So if he moves into that direction... Even if he's your fourth or fifth option, if he's a fourth or fifth option, the other team has to respect. He brings a lot to the table.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you just—if if you're a fourth or, or fifth option that just can't be exploited—that's already so much, you know. Like it just when you look at, especially when you look at the way the Raptors were beat in the playoffs before, it was all just about. And that might—this might end up being an issue with Siakam. Just it, it, hopefully, just if he doesn't figure out his shot, just by the fact of everybody else around him is going to be a shooter, so you can just put him in the dunker slot. Maybe it won't be that big of a problem, but the way the Raptors were beat last year is that there weren't a lot of reliable shooters, and DeMar was a guy who, you know, for all of his strengths, had a lot of exploitable weaknesses on the defensive end and was bothered by length on the other end. So, you know, those are things that just are completely different this year. And it actually, it kind of makes me I mean, just to go on a bit of a tangent here, but it makes me wonder about the Nuggets with Jokic, because on one hand, I think, and this is kind of how I've always looked at the Nuggets and Jokic in general, and I don't like focusing too much on his defense just because it's one of those things where it's like Jokic is literally one of the most exciting players in the league to watch because there's nobody who passes like him. There's nobody who really thinks a game like him, and you can just tell when you like when you just tune into a Nuggets game and really pay attention to the way that there's just all this chaos around him, and he's in the middle of the floor, and he's just finding these guys and making he just makes thread the needle passes for a living, and he just does it so casually. It's just one of the most interesting talents in the in the league to to watch but when you think about it in a playoff setting like I I always just come back to the fact that he's so bad defensively especially on switches and in space that I just can't ever picture them going far in the playoffs with him having a significant role because you can just kind of go to that well over and over and over again and continue to score and just kind of exhaust him and then and if he's not on the floor, then they're not gonna go very far. but then I was just thinking about the fact that it just seems like nobody can defend anymore in in the NBA and the space has just made it impossible for for really even the best teams in the league to shrink the floor against some of these guys maybe maybe we're at a point now where even a team like the Nuggets can uh, can outscore other teams to the point that in the playoffs it'll look different and that's just kind of a larger thing of like will this will all this offensive greatness that we're seeing right now in the regular season be able to carry over the playoffs or will it kind of come down to like the game that we're talking about of like exploiting weaknesses and just like getting these little edges
2: i'm concerned about the nuggets as well on on very similar grounds to that i mean Jokic phenomenal strengths, but another just big weakness of his is that having Jokic on the floor means you can't switch. I mean, you you cannot... You you talked about the idea of, oh, well, in the Raptors lineup, you can get in these circumstances of Serge Ibaka on a quick guard. Well, Nicole Jokic defending any guard is is a significant problem for the structural integrity of Denver's defense, and also their... You know, Jamal Murray is doing better competing when he's getting post-up. He had a couple nice plays against the Lakers on Thursday night, but... Denver, to me, they're they're a talented team to be sure. I, I really like them. I mean, I picked them to win. I think forty nine games, and and I stand by a lot of that. But I've always been skeptical about them as a playoff team because two things: one, their defense has these elements that are that when when you play superior competition will make them more vulnerable. This is actually a criticism I have sometimes of Boston's defense, as good as it is, is that when they face the best of the best, and coincidence or not, the best players in the league are often on those teams— that they're going to run into those issues. But then the other thing, and we saw this a little bit on Thursday night against the Lakers as well with Denver, is that as talented as their offense is, they have a tendency at moments to just bog down. And sometimes that's going to guys they shouldn't. Like there were some plays last night that went to Millsap and maybe you want to keep him happy. And that, that stagnated them a little bit. And, that you know they're talented enough to beat a lot of teams in the regular season, but in a seven-game grind, I feel like teams are going to exploit some of their some of their bad habits, and it it would take you know forging in the fire something like what Toronto's done the last couple of years to get there. And they and I hope I'm hopeful this is a very young Denver core that they will get there in time, but it will it will take time to get there.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think we're pretty much on the same page with that.
2: One more thing on Danny Green. We talked about him a little bit before. I really liked your piece on him for SB Nation, talking about how he has a connection in terms of his history with just about every player on this team. And Danny Green's story is fascinating. Actually, the single greatest answer I've ever gotten from Pop was on Danny Green. I was in Brooklyn and just started ta- – we started talking about Green's path to the NBA and his time you know, with with the story with the Spurs. And we can go through that a little bit, but I think the most telling part of it is that there are a lot of guys who, you know, go undrafted and battle their way into the league. But Danny Green did that as a McDonald's All-American talent Mm -hmm. before he started North Carolina. So he had the prodigious youngster, you know, high school experience, then was a college champion, you know, started as a sixth man, went went all the way and won a title at UNC, and then had all the stories. So he has lessons both from before the nba and during the nba to impart to just about every player on this team while also having the relationship with Kawhi, having been teammates for all these years
0: yeah yeah i mean the thing that i wrote about him was essentially that there is no nba experience that he can't relate to like he went overseas he went to the g league he's you know he's been like a a top prospect he played at unc he was a mcdonald's all-american he got benched at UNC. He started at UNC. He won a national championship. And then he was a second round pick that really just kind of fizzled out and you know wasn't able to to find his way for a long time. He's had moments of waning dedication. He's had moments where he's had incredible focus. Like he's just a he's just a guy that I think understands pretty much and he's also like he's a very he's kind of like a sympathetic and very Kind person who I think just understands mo- pretty much all the ranges of of NBA emotion that you could have, and he's also at the same time a really good communicator. And I think in a year like this, like right now, everything's going well, so everybody is with the program. Let's say they go on a bit of a losing streak, and then some rumors come out, oh, Kawhi is not happy. Kawhi's number one destination is still the Clippers, and you can't wait to get out or whatever. Like, they're going to have to go to the Staples Center twice and play. They're going to have to go to a couple other places that could be Kawhi destinations as well. And, you know, that's going to be awkward. And this is not a team that has really dealt with that level of awkwardness. Like, one of the things that has always kind of helped them and is, is still actually... You know, considering the the magnitude of what the season is, like there still isn't that big of a media presence, so it's still kind of there. But at the same time, like there, you still see a lot more, a lot more stuff from from outlets like ESPN coming up, and that is not really something that the team has dealt with in a dramatic way, I guess. Like the only time that's really happened with the Raptors is just because things were good and they're rolling. They haven't really had like that negative energy around them before and it'll be interesting to see how they deal with it. It's something that the Spurs were obviously immune to for a long time as well, but have, like Danny went through last season as well, so I'm sure that there are things that he learned from there that he could kind of help out with and you know, I think that's that's really important when you consider the pressure of a season like this. Like there's a lot of young guys who have a lot to prove. There will be times later in the season, as the rotation shakes out, that maybe Norm Powell realizes that he's not going to be part of the rotation. Maybe DeLon Wright ends up being in a lot of trade rumors. Maybe Fred's the the odd man out. Maybe it's Cj. There's right now. If, maybe I don't know. It's hard to say what Nick's philosophy with this is going to be. I feel like he almost has this Kumbaya thing where. He kinda just wants to roll out everybody. You know, even Lorenzo Brown gets playing time right now. And I think maybe that's a matter of he wants to see what he can do. Maybe it's a it's a cur sort of thing of, you know, let's make sure everybody's kind of engaged and nobody goes a week without touching the floor. We'll kinda have to see what what his philosophy on that is. But regardless, like there are gonna be guys who are accustomed to playing who will not be playing as much. There's a lot of there's a lot of potential for conflict and this is a team that by all means, like, don't get me wrong, they like each other and like I've I've never had reason to, to believe that they wouldn't be able to make those sacrifices, but when people's roles change, their attitudes do change with it. And then on top of that, there's Kyle Lowry, who, you know, nobody knows. He's playing incredible basketball and I think he's really taken to Kawhi, but He's also a guy that I think nobody really knows what he's thinking or what he could do next and he's gonna be coming up against a season where Kawhi is getting a lot of special treatment and people are gonna be, you know, kinda of maybe giving, I don't, I think it's kind of inevitable that you, that you allow more leeway to a rental play, player like that to get him to stay and you do kinda of do things his way so it'll be kinda of interesting to see what happens with that especially if they do go on a bit of a losing streak or whatever is to come or injuries hit or it's a long season and a whole bunch of a whole bunch of speed bumps can uh, can hit you and this is not that's not really something that the Raptors have, have dealt with too much before
2: an unusual element of the Raptors the last couple of years off the top of my head is that their biggest struggles have been at the end of the playoffs and mm-hmm. thus you teams process that in a very different way because they're not processing it as a collective. Generally, once the season ends, guys go in their own directions. They're, you know, going back home. Maybe they're taking a vacation, get, giving their body a little bit of rest. Whereas when they have like a two-week stretch where you just can't find a win, you lose four games that are close. That's sort of a thing. You deal with that as a group because you're with those same people every single mm-hmm. day. And it it is a very different challenge, and it it frays even positive relationships. I mean, that happens – I've covered a team that's gone through good times and bad times, and they haven't gone through a lot of bad times recently, but there certainly have been some. And I I think that it'll be interesting to see how this team handles all that, but it is also fortunate for them that, well, the the newcomers accepted – a lot of these guys grew up together and I've heard the dynamic before that it's kind of like the difference between a band of people who met as professionals and a band that grew up together where you know that you feel more comfortable with the other guys. And so you give them more leeway, you know, like, so if Fred Van Vliet is frustrated with Pascal Siakam even though those guys haven't been in the league that long they'll remember how they were like you know both fighting for rotation spots last year and all that kind of stuff that gives you more leeway than it's just like hey you're you're professional we've only known each other for 2 months like do get your stuff together
0: yeah yeah and i mean i, I think your point about the fact that they've always hit adversity at the end of the season is a really good one and it actually just reminded me of the time that like the one time in the season that they hit adversity was i think it was three years ago, four years ago, it was a year that they got swept by the Wizards. And they, you know, it was a year that I believe, was it Kyler or DeMar that DeMar that was injured for a good chunk of the start of the season. And they really, really got away from moving the ball because they kind of leaned on one of the other guys heavily to, to score. And they just couldn't... Figure out how to make it work after everybody was healthy and they ended up I think going 500 from the new year on up until like I think March whereas like they started the season with a much better record despite the injuries and what happened that year was they got swept and it wasn't a nice off season. it was an off season where there was a lot of passive aggressiveness and like nobody really it, it, Casey was on the hot seat and none of the players were really willing to say like hey no like we love Dwayne Casey uh, you gotta keep him like I don't I don't know how it shook out and they decided to keep him. But, you know, that wasn't a season where they really dealt with it well or really even – that wasn't in the locker room that season. But it didn't really feel like it was – it felt like they were kind of just going along with it. Like, oh, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. And they weren't really, like, dealing with whatever it was head on. So – The one sample size, I guess, we have of of conflict and adversity with with that locker room within the season is not a good one.
2: He hasn't gotten to play much this year due to injury so far. But do you think that DeLon Wright's pending restricted free agency is going to put a little bit of tension in this? Because I'm sure he wants to get as much of an opportunity. And you talked in, I can't remember which one of your recent pieces about the idea that a lot of these guys have gotten paid. I mean, Norman Powell got paid recently. Fred VanVleet got his money as well and Wright is now still kind of the the guy waiting for that opportunity and also it's the same time where they're getting a little bit of a rotation crunch because they have so many capable players do you see that as a potential point of friction
0: I don't think so just because DeLon is way too good not to play like he's just playing he fits so well with what they do he's so switchable he's long like he's such a creative point guard he gives a completely different look from what like Fred Fred and Kyle can kind of spell each other but DeLon is it's just a completely different look from what they usually have. He's, you know, we'll see what the, the progress has shot has made. It made progress throughout the the end of the season last year. He's just too good. I think if it was somebody who might have even a little bit lesser talent than Delon, you kind of worry about it and see, like, okay, let's say you know Powell picks it up a little bit and and Delon finds himself as the odd man out. I guess it could happen, but there's just. I cannot conceive of a world in the Raptors' rotation with the way that they want to play defense and the way they want to be aggressive that DeLon Wright isn't just a perfect fit for it. Even if his shot isn't isn't going in, he just he makes way too much sense. He brings way too much to the table. He's definitely going to play. I think obviously the management has you know decisions to make as far as whether he uh, he belongs on the roster long term and whether they want to see like there's a lot of team that teams that could use a point guard right now. I don't really know what holes the Raptors really feel that like they have to have to plug right now. Like when you look, when you watch them play, it kind of feels like they almost they have everything that they could possibly need. So I don't really know if a trade would really suit them. But you always, it's always in the back of your head, I guess, when a guy is coming up against free agency, and they do, you know, they, you know, they're gonna have to start making cuts somewhere because, like, obviously, right now their number one priority has to be to to re-sign Kawhi Leonard. And man, like that's. That is gonna that is gonna cause some luxury cap strain for sure. So yeah, they're gonna have to start thinking about some things. I don't know if this is necessarily a season or maybe they do in the off season. I think maybe they just go all in and and just try to win the championship and and don't make any deals that that are bad for them on the floor, even if they do help them long term. We'll see kind of the philosophy that they have on that, but it's definitely something got to think about.
2: Masai Ujiri made a big bet this offseason and I fully support it. I-, I thought they he did a wonderful job and you know I'm more critical of DeMar DeRozan than many but he also gave himself not only, I mean, the Kawhi thing is getting a lot of attention, but this is going to be a very complicated off season. And as you mentioned, kind of trade season before that, because they figure out how hard do we push for this year versus reconciling it. So they could, you, you said that like, they could add some p- pieces that could help them long-term. They could also trade away some long-term pieces and, and try to get a little bit better in the near term. It's going to be an absolute battle. If, to, if both teams are full strength with them and the Celtics, hopefully the and the Bucks can work their way into that conversation. We'll have to see that over time. Those teams have a lot more to prove because they haven't done it to the same degree in the past. And then, of course, you know, if the Raptors make the finals, then that will be a whole nother kettle of fish. But Ujiri now just has to figure out really what what they're prioritizing. And also, as you said, the financial ramifications of all this, because the downside of guys like Norman Powell and Fred Van Vliet getting paid is that it's going to cost ownership a lot of money. So there also needs to be a constant dialogue with ownership to say, what are basically what are the hard lines? What are the soft lines? What can we expect? Because It can be a big mistake this happens every once in a while when a team through over exuberance puts together something that is unsustainable, not on the court, but unsustainable financially. And I think Toronto is going to be okay with that, because generally speaking, if their team is good enough on the court, like that, they kind of tie together with them. But it will be worth watching to be sure.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I don't have much of a read on what ownership believes to be appropriate. I, I know they like they kind of they do have they do have free reign to go into luxury like tax as long as the team is winning. I don't know. I don't know if they can afford to get hard capped or anything like that. I mean, MLSC is just like that, that's the Raptors ownership group, and they're kind of just like this faceless entity that I really don't. I couldn't really give you too much insight on.
2: And that's a challenge. I mean, just certain certain ownership groups you understand it, certain ones you don't, and a lot of times it's just through examples that that's how you learn it. And
0: you, yeah, yeah, uh, we'll see.
2: It's too early to have anything definitive on like kind of where this is going with Kawhi, but do you have any sort of a read on kind of like whether things, whether kind of things are going well? I mean, it feels to me like on the court, this is about as good as you could expect for the Raptors.
0: Yeah. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better start to the season. I think they're kind of it, it really, nobody knows what Kawhi Leonard wants at the end of the day. But if we're to believe that Kawhi felt like there was just something that happened with the Spurs that made the situation untenable, which whether it was an injury situation or whether he felt like he wasn't getting the treatment that he wanted. But by all accounts, he seemed happy with the Spurs culture. It really does feel like the Raptors are trying to approximate some version of that in that everybody's kinda of quiet, they all go to work and go home and they're very serious and there's not a lot of extra stuff around the team. So if that's what he wants, it seems like they're kind of they're kinda of catering to that desire. It seems like he really, one of his big priorities, like the biggest priority really seems to be winning more championships. And hey, maybe I think one of the underrated aspects of why he might have wanted out of the Spurs is that he just never, he didn't see an avenue by which they could win seriously anymore, which I think is completely fair. Like it just, that didn't really look like a team that, you know, yeah, they were up on the Warriors, but yeah, who isn't up on the Warriors? And they're aging and they're not modern. And yeah, like if in a, in a basketball sense, if I was Kawhi, I'd be thinking, okay, like I'm carrying this team and I don't know that I'll have enough help outside of Lamarcus to, to really be able to, to make a dent in the playoffs while everybody around me is forming a bunch of super teams. And the Raptors aren't by any means a super team, but the East gives you a much better chance of getting to the finals. And the way that they're constructed right now is, is very playoff built and they're younger and, uh, and probably, you know, have the assets to, to maybe pull off another trade. Not in the sense, not in the way that maybe Boston or LA does and make a godfather offer for say somebody like Anthony Davis. But I mean, the Raptors are a team that we haven't heard about much in the, in the Jimmy Butler. Fiasco, but you know, they could potentially get a star like on that level with, uh, with the guys that they have. Like we were talking about DeLon right earlier, he sounds like a Tom Thibodeau player for sure. So, you know, they just there's a little bit more potential for that. And I also think that he has developed a pretty good working relationship with Nick Nurse, they're both kind of just basketball nerds. Uh, geek out over the game and I think he likes the way that he runs practices and like he's also like just look at look at the shots that Kawhi gets like he just gets to have so much control over the offense and in a way that isn't too wearing on him either like he's just kind of getting to get the shots he wants he gets to post up a whole bunch and there's a whole bunch of space around him I mean I, I'm 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 willing to guess that Kawhi Leonard is having a lot of fun in this offensive system. So I think the Raptors are probably I don't have anything behind the scenes. I mean I've seen I've seen uh I've seen Uncle Dennis in the tunnel. So I know the family is around. I think I'm pretty sure Kawhi's family has moved to Toronto with him. Like they've kind of been in around the games, and I think that's it's really important for him to be around his family. So I think behind the scenes, it's obviously going to be really important to, for the Raptors and the management to make sure everybody feels welcomed and at home but on the court it seems like they're kind of doing everything they possibly can so outside of that I don't know what Kawhi Leonard wants but it seems like the Raptors are doing the best they can with what they have to to make him feel like this is a place that he could settle down long term but at the end of the day like if, if he wants the bright lights he wants the bright lights so you know you just never really know what
2: he prioritizes is going to be fascinating because if it's championship contention there are not that many teams that have max base without having to make other moves that can really say that I mean we'll see what the Clippers and Knicks would look like you know if they theoretically could get a second max guy or something else then then it becomes a different conversation but and and the Lakers I mean that's its own thing it's very possible that Kawhi sees that and is interested in playing with LeBron but it's also possible that he sees that and says this is not a team that is going to take my personality this is going to be a team that takes LeBron's personality, so... That is a, I I think a lot of those things are breaking more towards the Raptors than many might believe, but we don't know if that's what Kawhi wants. Like, that, that's the hardest part. So you can make all these, like, you can make all these kind of theoretical cases and then you're just going, well, it depends on on what he prioritizes. And there isn't a right or wrong answer. The beauty of Unrestricted free Agency is that players don't need to apologize for anything. They can do whatever they want. It's just that we, as people who part of our... Part of our job, I guess you could say, is to predict what guys are going to do that we just don't know, and so that can be frustrating. But it also is what makes this really interesting. And so I I don't know what he wants, where he's going to go, but I'm interested in that. Still more to talk about with Sirut, including the Lakers, but first a message from Pluto TV. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. And what's even better, I mean, free can mean different things obviously means no transfer of money, but they make it so much easier by not asking for a credit card and not even needing to sign up to watch for free. So all of the other kind of downsides that can sometimes come from something that is nominally free, not there with Pluto TV. That's why it is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies for free. You can download it for free on all of your favorite devices today, including your phone, Roku TV, like smart TVs, PlayStation, Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV. I actually used their computer iteration. I just did it on my computer and was was very impressed with the interface. So, what are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again by downloading Pluto TV. Also, have a message from our friends at TrueCar. Hey there, diehards! Here are some football facts even you might not know about. The first football game was played in eighteen sixty nine. In an average game, the ball is typically in play for only about 11 minutes. And finally, pizza consumption rates go up during the week of a big game. Okay, probably knew the last one. Well, here is another fact you might not know that is actually really useful, especially if you plan on tailgating. True Car also helps people get used cars. That's right. TrueCar is not just for buying new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience. Whether you buy new or or used. And with TrueCar, users can see what others paid, so they know if they are getting a good deal before buying. They are also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with a TrueCar certified dealer. When you are ready to buy a new or a used car, check out True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Unless you have any other Raptors questions, I want to talk with you a little bit about the Lakers because I think they're a team that you and I are both fascinated with. Yeah, let's do it. We're recording this on Friday. Thursday night had a really fascinating game. The Lakers winning their second game of the season. Also their second game in two nights because they beat the Suns on Wednesday and... What struck me about it was Luke Walton partially due to happenstance with Rondo and Ingram being suspended, and those are two very different points, and I'll make those separately. It seems like they're getting closer to realizing and fitting what makes sense with LeBron James in terms of the lineup. Like, Josh Hart has done a really nice job fitting in there. They went a little bit more shooter happy, and... It, I thought it looked a lot better. It looked to me more like a LeBron James team mm-hmm. than what they looked like in the first couple of games. When, not coincidentally, they lost.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's interesting because the guys the guys who start are just not what you picture from a LeBron James team. And then when you get those lineups where you have LeBron running with the young guys, it just that's when it starts to make sense. That's when you start thinking, okay, showtime's here. Got Lonzo, LeBron, everybody's running, Hart's spotting up. And Hart, by the way, is just also killing it on defense. And that's what they need. They need guys that can get stops because I, I think that's one of the bigger problems that that they face when they when they get into these situations where because of the lack of spacing because of some of the risks that the guys take because of sometimes let's say you know loss of focus and uh not exactly the best basketball IQ with some of the guys like when they start turning it over they turn into the team that they want to feast on they want to run the floor they want to get stops and they just want to run on teams but that's just not something that you can do when you're taking the ball out of the basket. And then when other teams start to do it to you, they're scoring more too. So it becomes this complete reversal. But and that's that's also a risk that I think a lot of teams run when they wanna when they want to play the way that uh, that the Lakers do. But at the same time, it's also just uh, it's something that you can mitigate when you have spacing and you have smart players on the floor. And that's what you get with the young guys. And that's when it becomes really fun. And that's when you see a lot of these, a lot of the plays. Like, I mean, I know they, I know they lost this game, but one of, one of the most awesome things was, I can't remember exactly who the sequence was, but it was like late in the fourth quarter where Lonzo was falling out of bounds, or I think either Lonzo or Hart were falling out of bounds, and they just whipped the ball up the floor, and whoever wasn't the one who whipped it up the floor between Lonzo and Hart, caught it, and then just hit LeBron James for a dunk. It was just like, yeah, that's what this team is supposed to look like. Like a whole bunch of improvisation under pressure to create these awesome basketball moments that are going to be fun for everybody to watch and make the Lakers worth staying up for. And uh, I think they're slowly kind of going to find their way to that. Like, I don't know what the situation is in the locker room. Maybe Luke felt like he had to start the veterans and make the young guys earn it just by way of like that's kind of somehow – sometimes how it works, but they're earning it. There's no question about that. I mean, Kuz has not been able to play center and uh and stop anybody, but just his aggression on offense and just like you know, you just tell like a guy just complete like this is the biggest sports cliche of all time, but like you just tell a guy that like, just wants it so badly, like just is willing to you gotta do anything. Like he's just been playing so mad and it's been really fun to watch. I think, you know, Lonzo, Lonzo needs to start. Like, it's just like, the, the team looks like, yeah, Ronald's been good, but the team just looks so different when Lonzo's starting. And it's, it's also like what the team is supposed to look like as well. And just to see that, see that kind of take, take, uh, take position while Ingram has also been out with the suspension is actually really encouraging, I think. Like, if you, we can be discouraged by everything else in the team. But if LeBron and the young guys is a good lineup and Ingram hasn't really even already been like phased into that yet, like that's a really, really good start.
2: It is. And I think they're getting closer to and you don't need to be there in late October, but they're getting closer to the end game here of figuring out the ebbs and flows of this rotation. And another really encouraging element of their game on Thursday was Lonzo Ball looking more like what we hoped Lonzo Ball would look like Mm -hmm. next to LeBron James. He was more active defensively. He still is the unbelievable passer that he's always been. He had that beautiful just like tap pass to LeBron where anything longer than that would have been not stolen, but LeBron wouldn't have had enough real estate to get that finish at the rim. And he made a couple of shots. I mean, he had that pull up to to his right, which was shocking because he doesn't really do that. And then he also had a big three. And so if Lonzo can be a part of that answer, I mean, what I've said before, the the way the Lakers offseason turned out was bizarre in that they're not really a championship contender this year, despite having LeBron James. But the upside of that season is that they get a chance to figure out which of these young guys make sense with LeBron. And to me right now, it's, it's early and there are a lot of things that can change, but the answer appears to be a lot more of them than maybe could have been feared. Like if Lonzo can shoot a little bit more reliably and do Mm -hmm. everything else, then, you know, maybe you don't play him all the time with LeBron. Maybe he becomes the kind of the LeBron replacement in terms of running the offense. He can do some of that as well, but Josh Hart fits beautifully. Ingram, I need to see a little bit more because it's, you know, it's been a little bit up and down, but, That's a good sign, you know, because those guys need to work. And with Kuzma, it's going to be about figuring out the positional stuff. But offensively, of course, those guys fit together well.
0: Yeah, and I think that I think also once we get like a LeBron lineup that has genuine space around it, like it'll really open up Ingram's game a lot more, too, just because like I think that his biggest problem, I think like is that he kind of just runs into situations that he shouldn't sometimes and then just takes a fade away. And once you have a little bit more space, like that stuff will just turn into a lot more clean, balanced looks, which is something that he needs to, to work on himself as well. But, you know, it'll, it'll lend itself to, to his success.
2: Yeah, Ingram, he'll have to, I mean, everybody has to adjust, people said this about Lonzo, but it's far more true of LeBron. Like, you have to adjust the way you think about the game and the way you play when you're playing with LeBron, because the way he can find guys is absolutely insane. I mean, the passes that come from him in terms of velocity mm-hmm. and angle and everything like that are very, very different. And
0: and those are still leading to turnovers, like even, even yesterday's oh, sure. game. So oh, yeah, like that that'll that'll change as well. Like I think they'll kinda of get used to it and realize that they kind of always have to be ready for a pass. It was funny, I was actually I was I was re- I was rereading some of uh Jackie McMullen's book When the Game Was Ours, which was uh Larry Bird and, and Magic Johnson. Like she kind of she kind of trailed like their, their ascent in the NBA. And uh like that's 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 exactly what the Lakers went through with Magic. Like just he kept whipping the ball at them and saying, Hey, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep passing this and you better just have your eyes open. Just, just kind of funny to see that same sort of thing happen with the Lakers. This many years later.
2: Yeah, I, I, it, it is a, a really interesting parallel. And I mean, LeBron, LeBron and Magic, I mean, it's funny because there's all this attention being paid to Kobe Bryant's presence and all this. But I mean, LeBron and Magic, to me, there are a lot of similarities between those two guys as players, just in different eras and a lot of the expectations. And a lot of the adjustments are probably the same. I mean, in terms of, and also the concept of the fast break, where you want a space to. And LeBron also, like one of the things that I love a lot about where this Lakers team could go is... LeBron is great as the as the guy with the ball in his hands on a fast break, but he's also amazing. He had this one where he just tore past Paul Millsap. Where he's great without the ball in his hands because he just puts so much pressure as one of the fastest guys in the league. Still mm-hmm. at 33, turning 34 in a few months, like it, it's unbelievable what the the strain he can put on a team in transition. And as you brought up earlier, that will also put more pressure on their own defense because you can run off makes. It certainly is possible, but it's a lot easier to run off of a block or an, or a defensive rebound or something something. something like that. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to need to get those stops and elements of this will probably take more than a year to figure out just because they'll need superior personnel. But I could see, I've used the term, you know, for me, it's called feedback loops where basically playing good defense or playing good offense makes the other side better. I could imagine this yeah. Lakers team having some of the more extreme spirals in the entire league. so Like there are times where they're, and they actually had one of these late in the game against Denver where they're going on like a 20 to five run, but then there'll be other times where like a team goes on a 20 to five run on them because the Lakers were getting the ball out of the basket every time. And then their offense bogs down a little bit and it's, you know, LeBron or Ingram shooting a pull up deep to things like that. And so... That might be a little bit of a concern in terms of their playoff viability, but they have this ceiling that is still so intriguing.
0: Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of a better way to put what I, like the feedback loops, or a better way to put what I was kind of getting at with the reversals. Like you're either in a negative feedback loop or a positive feedback loop when you when you play the way that they do. But the young guys seem to really lend themselves to to the positive feedback loop more than the starting lineup does right now. And it's it's really um uh, it's really interesting to watch them because like there are moments where like every every LeBron team we've ever watched like has has stakes. And it's the Lakers, so like you kinda want to pay attention to every little thing. But then like you also I was watching last night's game, it was like Lan Stevenson is is powering this run, which is good for the Lakers. Like they need a win. But I'm also in the back of my head, I'm like, this does not matter because For the Lakers to be where the Lakers want to be, like this, this just will not be a situation in games that matter because A, they're probably going to get more free agents. They're going to change the lineup. Like at some point, maybe Lance will even be phased out of it, even like despite how he played. Like it's just kind of like, you're kind of always waiting for the other shoe to drop with him. And it's just such a weird bag of tricks. And like you just never know what you're going to get. So it's like, it's really odd. But, like, at the same time, the the components that you think will be there for the long term look a lot better than the components that you look at and think, like, what is going on? Why are these guys on the team?
2: I wonder what Polenka and Magic are going to read from this season and, and how they make the moves. Because if it ends up being, as my theory is right now, that the young guys are better suited to playing with LeBron than the veterans, do those guys want out? Do they want to get, like, buyout? Or do they want to just spend the rest of the year in L.A.? And then... Do they get better? Do they just kind of stay about the same but play those guys less and improve by superior personnel, superior mm-hmm. fitting personnel, let's say? and Or do they go more wholehearted? I mean, LeBron teams have a well-known penchant for changing a lot over the course of a season. And that yeah. might be more internal than external on this year's Lakers squad because they have so many different guys. But I'm not going to write off the possibility, and so I mean they're going to be fun to watch the whole year.
0: For sure, for sure, it'll be interesting to see the evolutions of the Lakers, and like we're already kind of kind of starting to see them. I'm excited to see what they look like in in March, even if they don't make any deals, just because we're going to see the lineup shift.
2: Anything else from the first couple weeks of the season that you want to talk about? I think we've done a pretty good job of going through it.
0: Uh, no, I mean I think uh yeah I think I think you're right. It'll be interesting to see how a lot of these teams uh, teams shake out. A lot of promising teams right now in the in the East, uh, that we, that I guess we didn't really get too much of a, of a chance to, to check in on, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a long season. We'll probably do this again sometime as well.
2: Absolutely, and Bucks Raptors next week. I'm really excited yeah, for that. Yeah,
0: that's going to be good.
2: Thanks so much for taking the time. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Sirat Sohi for taking the time to come on. You can, of course, read her at SB Nation, and you absolutely should. You can also follow her on Twitter at Sirat Sohi. She did change her handle, which makes me a little bit sad, but it's at S-E-E-R-A-T-S-O-H-I. No more Damien Trillard, sadly enough. Now a conversation. I really enjoyed it. It's brief, but illuminating for me. And that's part of the reason I'm so happy to have these with Dave Mason of betonline.ag. I wanted to talk to him about suspensions in light of the Chris Paul, Rajon Rondo, Brandon Ingram suspensions, how that affects making lines. And then that led into a conversation about the challenges of dealing with injuries because it's kind of a similar deal. And so we talked about both those things. Hope you like it. Thank you so much for coming on.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: I was thinking about some of the challenges in the sports gambling business when the I was I was watching the game actually on my phone when in Houston and Laker and in L.A. when they got into the scuffle. I guess that's the term we'll use for it. And what I one of the things I started thinking about was, oh yeah, suspensions have to be a big challenge because it's it's not quite like an injury where when you know somebody's go you know like let's say somebody's down with a knee injury you might not know how long they're going to be out but you get into all that but I mean there is that interesting uncertainty when it comes to like a, a fight and then potential suspensions and while lines don't come up super early they are moving all the time.
3: No absolutely it's just one more challenge for the team you know you got stuff like weather of course not in NBA but football weather is a big one baseball weather is a big one but you know in a game like NBA the injury is the biggest you know especially for those maybe not a guy blows out his ACL know he's going to be gone for four or months, but but you know, he's, he's sprained ankle. Day to day kind of injuries are really tough because we don't know if they're going to go tonight, tomorrow, whenever. Uh, so the team has to be on top of it a lot more. And you know, we want to get the odds up as early as possible, but we still have to manage our risk as well but yeah suspensions is just another challenge i guess i wouldn't call it as big as injuries because you know it kind of comes down black or white the guys are going to get suspended or he's going to play or not going to play when does a suspension start we got to keep stay on top of that but but yeah it's just another challenge another Little wrinkle for our odds guys. Okay, how much how much is Chris Ball worth to the Rockets, etc. So yeah, absolutely, just another challenge.
2: Yeah, and I'm sure that there there are sharps that think that they can beat beat everybody to the punch. Maybe they have an instinct on where it's going to go, but that's true true of anything else. And yeah, I, I there was an example over the weekend because the Lakers were or sorry the Rockets were on a back to back that they were playing the next day. And so, yeah, I mean, in those certain circumstances, it can be more difficult. But the point you're making about injuries is a really good one. The one I was thinking about here was Russell Westbrook, where he was doing this thing, which is totally fine. The teams can structure this however they want, where he was going on the court and doing workouts. And then a few hours before the game, they were deciding whether he was going to play or not. That I could imagine is a really big challenge for you guys.
3: No, absolutely. Those, those are definitely the headaches. Is, those, okay, is he playing or he's not playing? <laughs> you know, and it's like, it's almost like the team's trying to screw with the. Sports poker a little bit and
2: and not only do you have that but then with with injuries there's the bigger question of what do they look like you know and so like with West, yeah. westbrook he's coming back from a, from a knee surgery so that's very different from will chris paul play in this game or not we assume that he's at least most of the way healthy because he's been playing in every game whereas with with russell westbrook and so that's I mean, that's, but that's part of the fun of it is just kind of – the ch- and the challenge is trying to ev- – everybody trying to get their best read on the – I guess you could call it the expected value of Russell Westbrook, whether he plays, whether he doesn't, whether they're going into all this stuff. It's it's a really interesting challenge, and I think it's specifically different for basketball than some other sports because in football, they only play once a week, whereas in basketball, they're games more frequently. So if teams are on a different timeline for a decision, they could be like, oh, we'll just play them tomorrow, something like that.
3: No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that, that's where these, these sharps are, they take advantage of stuff like this. As you mentioned earlier, I mean, they're, they're, they're on top of the injury news. They're, you know, and a lot of guys think, you know, we only have so many guys working on the stage moving these odds and, and money's coming in. They're moving these odds and alerts are coming up on who's playing, who's not. And they really have to be on top of their game. Whereas, You know, a sharp or even not even a sharp, but it's somebody who's really paying attention to the Thunder situation or Westbrook or whatever name a player only really has to be paying attention to that one game, one team, one player, etc. To really have a small edge, all it takes is a a three second head start on us and, and you're getting the best of a number if the number's already posted. So. Yeah, injuries are a huge, huge, huge a uh, challenge for the guys on the stage.
2: And also, there's not really any way to get better at it. I mean, you just try to have you yeah. have the best information. You build with experience of understanding the value value either way. And but I think part of the 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 fun of it with basketball is also just that the game itself is is uncertain. And I mean, with so much offense going on in the league right now, you know, maybe even if you have the right idea, maybe the game it's not like you're guaranteed to win or anything like that. But you have a a better shot.
3: No, absolutely, and that's what this is all about it's not there's no guarantees right it's just a matter of uh, skewing the odds a little bit a couple percentage points in your in your way you know if you can get the best of number by a half a point you're going to win long term in a game like nba so you know if you can beat that number by a half a point with some good information if you're paying attention and you're not like nine percent of the betters who are just betting two one to two hours before the game if you're paying attention to those odds all day and you're looking at the screen and you're doing your homework and and you might be able to pick a spot here and there and get an extra half point, even up to a point, point and a half of value sometimes.
2: Yeah. That's really interesting. We only have a couple minutes left, but are there any other kind of, I mean, there are some bigger challenges that we'll talk about in, in future iterations, but is there anything else that you think kind of along these lines is something that people might not think about of the challenges of, of setting lines for, for basketball?
3: Well, I mean, our, our challenge on our side is, are these early numbers. I mean, we, it goes hand in hand with this stuff. I mean, our NBA odds, NCAA, football, baseball, hockey, all the major North American sports, as we call them, we open the odds before every other book. So that's our biggest challenge is we're trying to get the odds out there to the betters before any other book, give them that extra value. So, you know, and you add, that's challenging enough for us, but if you add the suspensions, you know, add the injuries, you add the weather and the outdoor sports and, all this other stuff and it becomes more challenged for us. So the more challenging it is for the house, the better it is for the players. That is if the players take advantage of the early odds and the information out there. You know, if they're not paying attention to the early odds, if they're just checking in an hour or two before the game and placing a bet, then they're losing out on so much value. That's what I hammer home to our, to our better so much. Look at those early odds because if you get a have extra half point, extra point, maybe more in value, I mean, that just, just turns us uh, turns the odds in your favor over a long long season.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. And I mean, people who are engaged enough to do things like listening to podcasts, who are checking on you know injury Twitter and all that kind of stuff, they they really can get an advantage. And you're right though, because the waiting it, it can certainly you know if you it can. If that's how you engage with it, I'm not never going to criticize that. But in terms of value, you're completely right. Because if you can take advantage of the uncertainty and the, the if you think you have a better read on it than the average person, then that's a great way to do it.
3: Absolutely. 100%.
2: Well, thanks so much for the time. We'll talk again soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Dave Mason for taking the time to come on. You can check out betonline.ag and, of course, use that Podcast One promo code for a 50% sign-up bonus. I, again, want to thank Syrit Sohi for coming on. You can read her at SBNation.com. You can follow her on Twitter at Sirith Sohi, S-E-E-R-A-T-S-O-H-I. I I like spelling things, I guess, so that's why I keep doing it. I don't know exactly where I'm going to go with the podcast. I said at the end of last week's episode that... I didn't want to get too into big picture stuff super early because it's just very hard and don't want to overreact to two weeks. Things look really dumb. You could go back to how great Orlando looked at the beginning of last year because they were making shots, their opponents weren't, all that sort of stuff. But there are still plenty of things to talk about. So of course, there will be a Real GM Radio episode next week. Don't know who it's going to be with, who it's going to, what it's going to be about, but we're going to do that. If you want more of the breakdowns day by day, the thing to do is to listen to Dunked On, the podcast I do with Nate Duncan and we get into all that, we will have, of course, a 15 and 60, our tradition of going through an entire conference in one episode. It takes a whole lot longer than 60 minutes. That will come out on Sunday night slash Monday morning, depending on where you live and how late you stay up. Dunked on is five times a week. Can also read my work primarily at the Athletic. I will be doing some work for Real GM as well. Had some stuff. I wrote a Max Free Agents piece and then did a video analysis of Steph Curry. Both those came out in the last few days. And I'll have plenty more coming up. I have a lot of ideas of things to go through. If you want to support this show, you can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. If it's not, then do it there too. I mean, it'd be great if you could do it there too. You don't have to, but it it really is appreciated. I do look through them every once in a while and I'm really appreciative of the support that you give. And the reason why you do that is because it, like sharing something on social media or everything else, it makes people who might not know as much about the show interested in getting on board and that's really what it's about. Similarly, subscribing and downloading every episode is extremely important, especially with a podcast like this that comes out sporadically. You can't get into a good habit with Real Jam Radio because it's always going to come out at a different point. It's about availability. Sirit, I wanted to have her on for a long time. Her availability was Friday, at the time we record it. So that's when we record it. And for me to get the guests that I think are worth having, that's really what this is about. And that's why I do what I do. The single most important thing, though, that you can do to support this show and any other is by checking out our sponsors. So I already mentioned betonline.ag, podcast one, promo code 50% sign up bonus. Robinhood, great thing to check out. If you go to realgm.robinhood.com, tells them you came from us and you get that free stock, which is fantastic. It's free stock. Pluto TV leading free streaming television service. You can check it out. No credit card, nothing like that. And TrueCar, great place to buy new and used cars. As I said earlier, real jam radio will of course be back next week. I do not know what it's going to be about, but I will be, I'll be working hard on it. I will enjoy it. And thank you so much for listening. Take care. Make it a great day.